Well, we're in a series, a parenting series called God's Parenting Playbook, and we are in week three today. And, and what's so neat about this series is you don't have to be a parent to get a lot out of this series. This series affects each and every one of us because even as we're here this morning, and if you're not a parent, you're going to learn about how our Heavenly Father looks at us and how He parents us and how He brings us from, from spiritual birth through our adolescence, through our teen years, and and hopefully to spiritual maturity. And, uh, and then we're going to look at those principles and see how do those apply to us. Now, I'm thankful for being raised in a, in a great home, and I love my parents, and there's so much of, of the way that we're parenting that, that I want to model after my parents. My mother-in-law is here this morning, and she did okay with, uh, with Shannon. <laughs> no, we have wonderful, my in-laws are wonderful people, and, and I'm so glad she can be here this morning. And, and we, we've learned from some great models But the best model that we have is the model that we have through Scripture of a heavenly father, and God refers to himself as our father. And he refers to us as his children, and we are the family. And so when we learn how he parents us, we have a great foundation from which to parent our children. And so over these last several weeks, we've been looking at some principles from Scripture. And the first one we began with was begin with the end in mind. When it comes to parenting, we have to begin with the end in mind because the demands of daily parenting can get us so focused on on small things that we lose the perspective of how everything we're doing in the moment lays a foundation for something bigger that we're building. And so we need to look at the, the ultimate goal of what are we trying to do with our kids before we send them out into the world completely on their own. And there were two things that we talked about were goals that we need to instill in our, in, in, in our kids. Anyone remember what those two things are? Character and, oh man, i got to start over again. All right, we reset the series today. How can you parent, how can we talk about today if you don't remember what the goal in mind is? Character and faith. Character and faith. If we send them out with the faith to know who they belong to, who they are dependent on, that their life and their sustenance and, and, and their whole focus on life is ordered under this, this God who loves them, and they go out in the world with faith, we have done a great service to our kids. And then the character that is embodied in who they are that they take into their work relationships, into their friendships, into their life, into marriage, into all areas of their, their life. So those are keys. So we begin with the end in mind and realize that everything we do today in the moment lays that foundation and builds that, that masterpiece that, that God has created in our children. Then last week we talked about love and limits. That the way that now we begin to build towards that faith and character is is first we have to create this love foundation. And we looked at the story in, in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, and it's funny if you kind of read that through the lens of, of God giving birth to his first two kids, right? And the Garden of Eden is like the nursery, it's like the home that he brings them into and kind of lays down some of the rules and, and, and ground rules. And, but we talked about he created this loving environment and how when we create that foundation in our relationship with kids, that creates that bond and allows us to set these limits, and, and we'll talk about more of that today, but how these expanding limits allow them to internalize uh, some values that become their character. And so again, we talked about that last week, and then this week we really want to look at, okay, now that we have these limits set, what do we do with these limits? And I want to talk about two things, freedom and responsibility. Freedom and responsibility and how they relate to limits in our parenting. Now, we're, when you think about that word responsibility, America is one of these places where it's always someone else's fault, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's someone else is always responsible for the bad things that happen to me in my life, right? If I spill coffee on myself after ordering it from McDonald's, 
and I spill it on myself, who do I sue? McDonald's, right? Or the classic example, and I've never verified if this was true, but I, I heard this happened, was a burglar um, was trying to get into somebody's house, and he took a ladder and, from the, the homeowner and wanted to climb up to the second story to get in. The rungs on the ladder were rotting, and they broke, and he fell, and he broke his leg, and he sued the homeowner. Of course, the homeowner is responsible for his broken leg, not the fact that he was actually off, you know, kind of trying to break into the house. Somebody is always responsible. We have signs everywhere uh, to, that keep us out of danger. If you ever bought anything, right, if you look through their owner's manual, your car, there's warnings everywhere because everyone's trying to cover their rear end because they don't want to get sued because I want to tell you that all those things are saying, um, we're not responsible, you have to use this product responsibly. Or if, like, you fall off a cliff in the Grand Canyon, you sue the national parks because they didn't put a sign that there's a cliff. And if I step off that cliff, I'm going to die. If so, so somebody's responsible if I did that. <laughs> but if we look at some other things in, a, in a, maybe a, a, a smaller way, maybe you have this kind of attitude or we hear this too. It's maybe you didn't get a bonus at work. And you think, well, my boss is a real jerk. It's my boss's fault that I didn't get, didn't get the bonus. He's the one to blame. Okay, you know, don't forget the fact that you didn't meet your quota, forget, forget the fact that you didn't hit your goals, but somehow it's his fault. Or you get a bad grade at school. Whose fault is it when you get a bad grade? The teacher's. We all know that, right? It's the teacher's fault that you got a bad grade because that teacher graded you wrong. It had nothing to do with the fact that you weren't prepared, that you didn't study, that you got questions wrong. It's the teacher's fault. Boy, who's at fault when you get a speeding ticket? Those cops. They're just like setting you up. They just hide out in places and then like no grace, no mercy. It's their fault for giving me a speeding ticket and now I don't have the money to do X, Y, and Z. We like to blame someone else. And this happens at home all the time. Mom and dad are the bad ones when the kids get consequences, right? Right? Our our kids don't get to go out and play because they didn't, you know, finish their homework. Who's the bad guy? We are. Mom and dad. You're so mean. You don't ever want us to have any fun. You're just out to like ruin my life, mom, dad, right? It's mom and dad's fault. And so we, we learn this thing about pushing responsibility onto others, and we see it happen in adults, and, what we, and we see it happen with kids all the time. Kids are naturally inclined to want to do that. And so what we want to talk about is how do we teach kids responsibility and give them freedom? Because ultimately we see this with God all the time too in faith. And that's like we said, we're learning about our spiritual journey too. God's just out to keep us from having fun. He's got all these rules. Man, God is just not on my side. You know, it's, it's always God's problem. The problems in my life are God's fault. But sometimes we need to look at ourselves and go, how did we contribute to this? What's our responsibility? And so today, we want to look at this issue of responsibility and that we want to teach kids, you are responsible for your actions and what happens to you in most of life. Now, we all have the exceptions. We all know that there are times that people have wronged us, that people have violated us, that people have stepped um, and, and done something to us that's not our fault. But what we're talking about is here, the decisions that we make in life where we had a choice. And because of what we chose, leads us down a path. How does that work out today? So we're going to turn to God's Word today and, and have several different passages and, and see how does God work this idea of freedom and uh, responsibility in our lives. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. That's where we were in the Garden of Eden last week. And remember, God um, brings Adam and Eve into this most amazing place, and he gives them free reign to eat anything, to do anything. It just has this, this, great, this great freedom to roam and to live. But he says one thing, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of life, right? Do not eat of this, this fruit. 
And so he set a boundary. And we talked about last week that this limit, right, that he set around the tree is this boundary. And he was trying to teach them something. But what we can also say is that every limit is a choice. That whenever we create a limit for our kids and we say, here's, here's the rule, here's the boundary, what we're giving them is a choice. And so when you have a choice, you also have fr- freedom, right? And so you have a choice to obey or to not obey. And so in the case of Adam and Eve, it was, don't eat of it. You're going to have a great life. Everything's perfect. There's the line in the sand, right? Everything here is fine. You step over that line, you die. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? There was not a whole lot of ambiguity about what the consequences were. Now, what God could have done is, instead of giving them a choice, instead of giving them opportunity to express freedom and and responsibility, he could have said, "Um, man, I've got to build a huge wall around this tree. I'm going to put a cage around it. It's going to have like laser light and sensors that go off. There's going to be a minefield around it. I mean, this thing is going to be as secure as the White House. Okay, maybe, maybe a little more secure than the White House. Um, <laughs> it's going to be very secure. You cannot get in there. And, and this would have eliminated any opportunity for, for them to, to mess up, right? And you think, why would God allow that? Why would God give them the opportunity to make a mistake or to eat that fruit or even to have the consequence of dying? Well, one, it's because God is a God of choice. And as parents, if we don't give our children's choice, children choice, we are raising robots. We are raising children who can't think for themselves, who can't function for themselves, who will always need somebody to tell them what they can and cannot do, and it actually will hinder their own development. It will not develop their character. It will not develop their faith. And so what God is saying is, look, how your future plays out, that's up to you. But here's the limit, and these are the consequences. So for a limit, it's got to be able to be, to be crossed for it to be a choice. And, so the, and, at the choice um, and the essence of choice is freedom. And when we give our kids freedom, and when we have freedom, when God gives us freedom, it teaches us responsibility, self-control. Now in, in, in Romans chapter 1, in, in this passage, in, this, um, in these, these paragraphs, here's what it says. People pushed the truth away from themselves. What God is saying is, look, there's truth here, but he's giving people freedom. They pushed the truth away from themselves. In verse 24, it says, God let them go ahead and do whatever they wanted, and they chose to believe lies. Now, it just is interesting to me that God would just simply say, not try to make us little robots, but that he would say, look, I'm just going to tell you, here's how to have full life. Here's how to have abundant life. Here's how to get the most out of life, the most out of your marriage. Here's how you can be the best son and daughter, the best parent. Here's how you can experience just fulfillment in marriage and and in your work ethic and the way that you interact with other people. This is going to be the richest life that you can experience. So so here's the context in which that can happen. But it's up to you if you choose to, 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 to live in that way or not. And so when we set limits, what we, what we can do is we give our kids choices that sharpen their ability now to internalize those limits. So when we set those limits for them, that beca- begins to become their character. So at first we just have to teach them, you know, no, don't do that. But eventually they'll start learning, you know, I'm going to make a decision not to do some of, some of these things. And so what we begin to do is we begin to say, as you earn responsibility, we're going to continue to expand the limits further and further. And that's part of that growth and development. So when you think about just physical distance and safety for a kid and a parent. When an infant is born, there's no chance for that infant to get run over by a car on the street unless, like, a, a mom and dad is holding them or 
Mom and dad would set them on the street. That would be a horrible example, right? A kid cannot on their own do that. So the boundary is very close. It's as close as mom and dad. There's really no way that they can transgress that boundary. They get a little older as a toddler, and then what do we go run to the store to get? (laughs) Baby gates, stairs, like little plugs, you know, for the outlets. And we start creating a safer environment because we know now there's less control. And, and, and as, as little as that kid is at, at one years old, they have choice. They have freedom. They don't, we say, don't go there, and they crawl there, right? We had one of our kids was like a great Houdini. I mean, she, we could not keep her inside the baby gates or, or where, whatever it was. And I think, was it one night? Um, it was Kira, right, that we, we locked up in, in, her, in her room. Well, locked up. We put the baby gate in front of the door because, you know, she could open her door, but we didn't want her to, to be able to get over the gate. And, and then we came out and we heard some fussing going on. We ran outside, and Miana, our oldest, I don't know, they were like one and two. I mean, really young. Miana came out, or probably two or three, I don't know. They were out of their crib. And we see the gate laying on the floor, and Kira's running free, and Miana said, Don't you lock my sister up. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, they, they're already pushing those boundaries, those, those, those gates, those limits. And, and then as they get older and they start, you know, going to play outside and you say, you know, don't go to the end of the driveway. A little bit later, it's don't go, you know, you can only go to the end of the street and ride your bike. And then there's that time where I already got with, with my older daughter, right? Can I ride around the block? I can't see around the block, right? I, I don't know what's around that corner. And there's already that initial tension as a parent. Do I expand that boundary? And then, of course, those of you who have gone through teenagers who then ride their bikes and then drive their cars and then get their driver's license. And, and there's a trust that has to be earned, but there's a freedom that you give of choice. And it, it keeps expanding those limits. And, and then pretty soon, if you have an adult child that's still living at home, you say, you cannot come back in here. You reverse the limit, right? And you say, now, now you stay out, and now you can't come back in. So we keep expanding these limits. We keep allowing choice and allowing kids to earn the responsibility, and that's the next point here. A choice teaches us responsibility. Adam and Eve began to debate right away. Should we eat? Shouldn't we eat? Did he really say? Did he not say? And we're debating, is God going to be serious? Your kids are asking the same thing. Are mom and dad really going to be serious? Are they going to really toe the line when they said, I'm going to lose this privilege if I do that? They're testing, and they're going to wonder, and, and maybe they'll make a choice. And what did they do, Adam and Eve? They ate. They ate of the fruit. And God was swift in his punishment. And this is where you kind of see, I think as a parent, where we think in terms of like, there was no doubt in God's word at that point. You ate of the fruit, did you? All right. I hate to do this, but I'm a God of my word, and there's truth. And so he banished them from the Garden of Eden. What I find so interesting is that God didn't rescue them from their bad choice and consequence. And this is where we get into this blaming thing of God all the time. We make bad choices. We make bad decisions. And somehow it's God's fault. Or we blame God for not rescuing us and God bail us out. You know, it's like, again, we're pray- we didn't study for the final exam, but we're praying like crazy. God, help me pass this exam. Why would God do that? <laughs> you didn't study. That's in your own power and your own control to do that. And, and as parents, how many times do we want to rescue our kids from consequences? What, that project is due tomorrow? And you haven't even started it today? Guess I have my work cut out for me tonight as a parent. I've got to pull this project together. How many times are we willing just to say, you've got to go to school and you're going to get that bad grade? Man, it's hard as parents, isn't it, sometimes to let your kids struggle, to let them fail. But we have to teach them responsibility, teach them self-control. 
here's the, here's the thing we need to teach them. My behavior is my problem. <laughs> because we always want to blame others. Kids want to blame others. I'm responsible for my own actions, not my parents'. Now, the reason I didn't get to go outside and play with my friends is that I chose not to do my homework or practice my piano, not because my parents are mean and are keeping me from having fun. Now, that's a switch. I mean, I don't hear too many kids saying that, you know, yeah, I'm, I didn't do my homework, I'm responsible. But those are the things you begin to teach them is, is that, is that there's, a, there's a cost that comes with that. So we're teaching children to take responsibility for their own actions and emotions. And even for their emotions, how they respond. I, I, you know, when our girls get get into it with, you, with, with each other, like all kids do, that, you know, they know which buttons to push, right? You still know, if you're growing, you still know what buttons to push with your adult siblings, right? right you just know, and you get under their skin, and, and, we, and, and they do that with each other, and, and then they get upset, and then they yell and scream, or, or just powder, slam doors, and I remember just, you know, going to our, well, we do this often, but go to our kids and saying, you know, it's okay that you're sad, it's okay that you're mad, it's okay that you're feeling these emotions, but it's not okay how you are expressing them right now. We've got to teach you how to handle that. So you've got to be responsible for that emotion. You can't just say, my sister, because of my sister, yeah, that happened, that was bad, but now how you respond to it, that's up to you. You can't blame that on somebody, on somebody else. And so again, God gives us that freedom to choose. And in Ecclesiastes verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 9, it says this, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Isn't that nice? Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But there's a comma there. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. <laughs> it's that balance of there are consequences, there are rewards, but, but you have the choice. And God does not hinder you from living and doing what you want. But we have to realize there are consequences that come with that. And there's this principle throughout Scripture, and it's articulated really well in Galatians chapter 6. It's the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping. Now, we live in a culture where there isn't a whole lot of sowing and reaping going on. And so if you don't know what that is, sowing and reaping, right? Sowing is like you're scattering seeds. You're planting. You're, you're putting things out there. Reaping is harvesting. And so it comes from agriculture. comes from the farm world, right? If you plant corn, you know, sow seeds of corn, you're going to get corn uh, at harvest time. And so the principle is you reap what you sow. And so here's, a, um, here's a, the passage I want to read from Galatians chapter 6, beginning verse 5. Galatians chapter 6, verse 5. And then I'll skip to verse 7 and go on. For we, are responsible, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Straight out of Scripture. We are each responsible for our own conduct. Verse 7, don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. How often does that happen? Always. You will always reap what you sow. This is a universal principle. This is a principle that is set up by God in this world that gives us a lot of control as well. It gives us a lot of responsibility and ownership that you will always reap, always reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest the consequences of decay and death. But those who live to please the Spirit will have everlasting life from the Spirit. So don't get tired of doing what is good. Don't get discouraged and give up. For we will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to our Christian brothers and sisters. Sowing and reaping. And here it's saying, look, there's going to be, you sow discord, you're going to reap discord. You sow joy, you're going to reap joy. It's going to come back in whatever you, you do. Now, 
again, practically here, we don't really have farms, but I've been doing some sowing this past week. And uh, in Arizona, it's called overseeding. Any of you guys overseed your lawns? <laughs> Amanda just hit Michael. Apparently, you didn't get on that <laughs> quick enough. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, you're supposed to overseed the lawn. I mean, this was a new thing for me when we came here that, you know, if you want green, you, one, you can have green grass throughout the whole winter, which is cool, but you have to do work for it. Now, you know, we like to, you know, especially spend time outside this time of year as we're heading into here in Arizona, and, and we can, you know, have picnics out on the lawn, play, play in the grass, we can just kind of hang outside, just sit there and enjoy it, it's green, and, and just creates that nice, uh, that visual outside, but here's the thing, if I want to have that, I got to do some work. I cannot reap that if I don't spend some time sowing, and so this last week I had to scalp the lawn, right? Lots of bags, hauling all the grass out, you know, let the, the summer grass go dormant. And then you have to go buy seed, and you put the seed down. And then shoveling, I mean, pounds and pounds of steer manure. I mean, that's not pleasant. It's not a pleasant smell, and you spread that all out. And then you give it some good fertilizer, you know, some ammonium sulfate so it turns green and grows. You guys are like deer in the headlights. You guys don't do this stuff? You're like, brown grass, good enough for me. I'll let it come back. See, I love it. But, but here's the thing. It takes hard work, and it takes time. And now we've got to water it diligently for two weeks straight. Just keep watering it. It's going to cost some water bill, but we're going to have a nice green lawn that will be the envy of my whole neighborhood. That's my goal this year. Um, I even went and bought an extra bag of, of, of grass seed just to make sure that it's going to be nice and green. But here's the thing. You, you're going to reap what you sow. And so right now, I'm, I sowed something. I have nothing to show for it right now, do I? Actually, right now, my lawn looks worse. It smells bad. It's brown. There's flies around because of the steer manure. But in a couple of weeks, because I know this principle of sowing and reaping, it will be a lush green lawn. And so this is how it works in life. And we need to begin to teach our children and some adults in our lives that you are reaping the rewards or consequences of the actions that you have done. And so it works, you know, it works positively. You sow responsibility, effort, and diligence. That pays off, and you're going to reap the rewards. Even Jesus talked about the parable of the talents, where if you invest what you have, and God will give you more. He will multiply that. So if you work hard, you're going to advance your career. If you study hard, and get, you're going to get good grades. If you make enough calls, you're going to get some sales. If you study your Bible, you're going to learn more about God, and you're going to grow spiritually. If you invest in a roots group, you're going to experience relationships and community, and it's going to change how you feel about the church and connect to people but it also works negatively. You sow irresponsibility, you're going to reap those consequences. You're going to lose something valuable. So, you eat everything you want, you're going to gain weight, you're going to get heart disease, whatever. You lash out at family members, you're going to, get, you're going to reap hurt, and you're going to cause distance. You don't watch your spending, you're going to get trapped in debt. And see, we try to fight some of these principles. You don't spend time with your kids, you're going to have a poor relationship. If you only come to church on Sundays and don't go to a small group, you're not going to have relationships that go deeper. And so this principle is at work all through life. And so when it comes to our kids, the reaping and sowing principle, that, that idea of reaping, what that does is creates the motivation. And so how do you motivate your kids to go in the right direction, to learn to make good choices, to move in the right way, is, is you create the motivation through what they, what they reap on the other side. There's either going to be rewards that are good, like dessert, Great reward. I told you, the dessert principle, this is one of the most important principles in life. You sow during dinner, you eat all your food, you clean your plate, you have good manners, you, you listen, you're going to reap dessert. 
I mean, it's, it's that simple. That principle they can take with them to life. Now, the other side, the consequences need to be associated with pain. And unfortunately, as human beings, sometimes we don't grow unless, unless we sometimes experience some pain. And so that creates the motivation for them. And so we want them to experience that you have this choice, but we have to follow through on those pieces. Now, here's, there's two things about consequences if some of you are wondering, okay, how do I, how do I make and set consequences for my kids? There are re- reality consequences, and there are relational consequences. Relational consequences equals bad consequences. You don't want to do this as parents. And this is so easy for us um, to get into these relational consequences, these negative consequences. Anger, guilt, nagging, withdrawing love. This is where, as parents, it's so easy just to get, let it be about us. I'm going to get angry. And they see how angry I am. And, and we think that's going to be the consequences. Kids won't do that because they don't want to see mom and dad angry. Who's it about at that point? It's about mom and dad. It's not their own responsibility. I just don't want to get mom and dad angry. Right? Or the guilt that we lay on them heavy. And, and there's not a motivation. It works in the short term, but not in the long term. Or the constant nagging. You never do this. And you messed up here and you go back. Relational consequences do not work. At least not the way that you want them to in the long term. They do work in the short term, but they have other consequences later. Or the withholding love. When you distance yourself, I'm not going to interact. Now it's different for a timeout. You let a kid, maybe that's a real consequence. You did something that broke relationship, now you need to think about it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you withhold love because of something that they did. So we want to avoid the, re- the relational consequences, the negative consequences. Reality consequences. This is how life works, right? Reality consequences. Like we talked about in, in real life, you know, you speed, you get a ticket. <laughs> it's going to cost you. You, you, know, you don't perform at work, you may lose your job. It's very much, you know, connected. And so there has to be some pain involved, some loss of time or money, possessions, or something that they enjoy or something, something that they value. You know, the other night I, I went, we put our little ones down and our youngest, our five-year-old, um, I'm walking downstairs, and her door's a little cracked open, and it's this dark room, and I see her face glowing. I'm like, why is her face glowing? And there she is on her bed while her other sister fell asleep. She's playing on the Nintendo DS, right? Her face is, one, it's not hers. She's not supposed to play with her sisters. And it's after bedtime, right? So we went in there and obviously told her, uh, what are you doing? Give that back to me. Oh, and she got all scared. You know, Dad, I'm sorry. She, I mean, instantly knew it was wrong. But I could have, you know, done all kinds of ways of punishing, but simply said, all right, tomorrow you lose your technology privilege. You, you didn't use it right today, so tomorrow the reality consequences, you lose the whole day for tomorrow. You don't get to play on the games. You don't get to do X, Y, and Z. Now, of course, we forgot about that the next day. But in the moment, the point still stands. You know, sometimes as parents we forget that, um, which is bad because then they think we don't really mean our word, but we reminded each other and go, okay, we've got we to follow through on that. But the point is, it, it relates to the issue at hand, and so that's what we want to do. And we don't want to, again, bail our kids out. So it's like, if as a family, you, you want to go to the movies, right? You're going to reward the kids, say, tonight we're going to go to the movies, but it's Saturday, and we want to get our house done. Everyone to go do their chores. And now you can, you know, a couple of your kids are doing their chores, but there's one who isn't doing the chores. What do you do? Probably, hey, do your chores. Remember, you probably, you know, encourage it a few times. But then time is getting closer, time is getting closer. What do you do? Do you just kind of at the end say, get in the car, we're going to the movies? Scenario one. Or do you say, if they're old enough, stay home. You don't get to go. You know, it's hard to see our kids when they don't, when they don't sometimes, you know, in the, in the pain of some of their consequences. 
I mean, I already see it as a kid. Like, I'm, I'm kind of a softy, Shannon always says. Like, again, I go back to the dessert. I tell you, my whole parenting theory is a dessert theory. Um, you know, like, they lose their dessert, and then and I feel bad, and I just kind of, like, want to give them, like, just a little bit, you know? Because I, I don't like them missing out on this great thing, you know? It's hard to see them, like, you know, sad. Or, but it gets worse, right, as it gets older, if they're, if they're um, you know, if they miss out on a fun activity, or they've got to send them to their room, and they don't get to watch the movie with, with their sisters or something, and, you know, they're crying and they're sad. There's a part of you as a parent, obviously... You want to comfort in that, but sometimes I want to bail them out. But the reality is we need to allow them to know this is their consequence. We're not withholding our love, and we're going to restore that relationship when the consequence is over. Um, You know, you're not going to be banished from us, but you have to carry the weight of that that consequence. So when I think about it, though, in terms of, of, of how God treats us, I think about this, this idea of freedom and responsibility comes together in the story of the prodigal son. If you know the story, it's in Luke chapter 15. And uh, Jesus tells the story to help us understand what God is like, what our Heavenly Father is like. And, and just in, in kind of overview of the story, there's a father has two sons, an older son and a younger son. And he owns a, you know, he owns a ranch, he owns a farm, owns some land, whatever the case may be. And one day, the younger son comes to his dad and says, I want my inheritance. Give me my money. I want to split. Again, you put that in the parenting lens, and you think about that as a parent, and you're going, uh, no, I don't think so. One, I'm not dead, so you can't inherit my money yet. You know, I still got to about, worry about my retirement. Uh, two, I know exactly what you're going to do when you get all that money. You're not old enough to handle that much money. You're going to blow it. You haven't, you're just not ready for it. And you kind of go, and maybe you think, well, this dad's not a really wise dad because he seems to take the inheritance gives that portion to the younger son and says, here you go. And the son does exactly what probably any parent would have predicted in that situation, somebody who wasn't ready to handle that responsibility. He goes and he spends his money and he, he lives large. He buys friends and activities and fun and who knows what he does, right? All kinds of crazy living until he blows it all. And he's left feeding pigs because trying to just earn some money. He's in a pig's pen, literally in the mud, and, and he's so hungry, he's so starving that he just wants to eat the pods that the pigs are eating. And in that moment where he's just down and out and just at his end, Scripture says he came to his senses. And he thought, man, I have it so good back at my father's house. If I could just go back there. And he begins to rehearse his speech of how he's going to ask for forgiveness and how he's just going to grovel and all this kind of stuff. And he begins to make his way back. Now we think about the parent maybe on the other side. and Parents could have all kinds of reactions. Of course, we're worried about our kids. We haven't heard from them. They've been gone. They've been out. What, what, what might be going on? Or there could just be anger that begins to fester. Oh, if that boy ever gets back into my house, he's got something coming to him. I'm going to teach him a lesson. I mean, I don't know. It could be a range of emotions. But, but in the story, we're trying to get an understanding again of who God is. And the son begins to make his way back to his, his, his father. And he's rehearsing the speech. And he's going he's gonna to apologize. And he's going to say, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Just let me be a slave and a servant in your household. And, and woe is me and all this stuff. And as the father sees him in the distance, Scripture tells us, Jesus tells the story, the father began running towards his son. I mean, he's actually running towards him, not to scold him, not to beat him down, not to give him a lecture, but he embraces him. And as the son is starting to try to talk and, and explain all these things, the father's just going, shh, shh, uh-uh. My son who was lost has now come home. Let's throw a party. And they begin to celebrate. And they have a big bash and a big party, and he restores him to full sonship. 
And now we see in the story here is this idea of you're going, okay, where are the consequences? Well, weren't there some natural consequences that the son experienced? God gave the freedom. God gives us the freedom as his kids to go and to live life however we want. You have the freedom. We have the freedom. But the consequences are going to come. And God trusts enough that the lessons are going to be learned. And he's secure enough to know that life with the Father is always better than life lived on our own. And when the son came back, it was an admission. It was a repentance. It was a turning around, coming back and acknowledging, I want to be with my father. And he restored him into that relationship. And as I think about us as God's children, now let's set parenting aside. I think we have these principles, teach your kids, you know, that, that they're going to reap what they sow, let them experience those things. But what about us as God's children? I mean, how many times in our life have we just sown some pretty stupid stuff? We've, done, we've made some mistakes, we've done some hurtful things, that we've had consequences in our lives, there's pain in our lives. There's things that we're still carrying guilt over for a long time, and we wonder, like, God... Why? Maybe, maybe you've blamed God. Maybe you're upset with him. And maybe it's time for you this morning to take responsibility. To own up, to say, God, you know, I walked from the path that you had for me. I made decisions, I made choices that were not honoring to you. I'm carrying some of the, the, the responsibility of that. But here's the thing, you come back to God and what is he going to do? He's going to welcome you with open arms. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? He's giving us time. He's patient. And as parents, again, we can learn that with our kids, but we look at our Heavenly Father and he goes, I'm here for you. I'm waiting for you to come back. I'm waiting for you to come home. John 10, 10, one of my favorite Bible verses, I've come to give you life to the fullest. So if you want to try to find your life over here, go for it. But eventually, you're going to find the fullness of life. And when you do, I'm here. Now, even this morning as we were worshiping and, and singing, I, the thought came to my mind that Jesus kind of, through, through Jesus, God almost kind of breaks this pattern in, at one level. Because Adam and Eve, when they sinned, he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, and, he gave, and death was the result that they would die. They weren't going to live forever. But when God sent Jesus, there was a point where he said, I'm going to take the consequences of their sin and I'm going to pay that price. That's one price I'm going to pay for them. I'm still not going to force them to love me. I'm not going to force them anything, but I am going to pay that consequence for their sin. And that's when Jesus came. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could just have this freedom so that we could be restored in right relationship with God. He took that upon himself for us. And it comes back to just a heavenly father longing for the heart of his children. And I think that's what we long for as parents, that we would have that relationship with our kids, that honor, that respect, that love, that the, the, the fifth commandment, right? Honor your father and mother that your life may be long, that you can be in that relationship. And so today as we close, I just want you to, to think about all kinds of things, obviously. Think about your kids. Think about your parenting and, and how you can really teach them and build that character in them. Helping them know the responsibility for their actions with rewards and consequences, but really nurturing them along to be children and to be adults, ultimately, of faith and character. But maybe this morning you just need to focus in on your relationship with God as a child and saying, God, I need to come back to my Heavenly Father. 
I need to own up to my responsibilities, but I know that I have a forgiving and loving Father who wants to restore me into right relationship. Let's stand together as we close in prayer and worship. We have these stations around here for you to respond. They're here for you to make a personal expression of what God is speaking to you. And if you come and take communion, remember that sacrifice that Christ made for you on that cross. The blood that was spilled out represented by the juice. The broken bread representing his body broken for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you want to light a candle to express that you just need God's light in your life. Again, that you want to be restored in relationship or you want to pray with somebody or you want to pray by yourself and kneel in the back. These are your places for you to respond. Let's pray and then worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example that you've given us. That you love us enough to give us free choice and free will. God, thank you that you love us enough to welcome us back with open arms when we've made dumb decisions. And God, I even thank you for allowing us to experience some of the pain of our poor decisions. Because it's through those times that we've grown, through those times that we've learned. And just reminding us, God, that life um, will never be better than when it is with you. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. And Father, for the parents here this morning, just give us wisdom. Not to just get so caught up in the moment, but to really see what we're developing in our children and to create that love foundation, but also just to keep guiding them to take responsibility and to make great choices in their life. We love you and we commit ourselves to you. Amen.